So I'm excited today about our, um, about our passage. It's a passage you may or may not have heard, not like the last two or three that nobody ever preaches on. It's a, it's a look in the mirror passage. It's a see where we are passage. It's not a difficult passage. We, we, you know, we will probably get out early today. We might not, but we probably will, all right? Because it's very easy, but it's also very challenging, right? And it's challenging because for those of us who sometimes leave not as challenged on a regular basis, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with God. It has everything to do with you. Today is attitude check day. Today is stand before the Lord day. Today is how do I see myself and how do others see me day. Who are we comparing ourselves to? Let me say that again. Who are we comparing ourselves to? One of our favorite people, Stephen Celine uses the word man crush, is Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has an incredible phrase. He says, do not compare yourself to those around you. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Do not compare yourself to those around you. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And that is a godly thing, and that is a very wise thing. But that is not where we are today. We intentionally and sometimes subconsciously or unintentionally compare ourselves to lots of things. We compare ourselves to the image we think we are. We compare ourselves to others around us. We compare ourselves to those we think in the areas we're making the comparison in are better than us. We do it, whether naturally or unnaturally. Jesus told a story to some who were confident, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down upon everyone else. Stop. Most of y'all are good people. Most of y'all are good people. I like you. You're sinners, but you're good people and I like you. So right there, some of you have gone, I'd like to hear what the scripture says next because you know that's what you're supposed to do. Others of you have accidentally turned me off spiritually. You're ready to listen to what I have to say and you know there may be a song lyric or a joke or something that comes in here, but you spiritually just now shut me down because your thought process is, oh, I'm a pretty good person and I don't look down on people. <clears throat> You don't publicly look down on people. But Jesus knows what you're thinking. And he's thinking he's talking to you. What's the old phrase? I taught, I taught, a putty cat, putty tat. Yeah, well, Jesus thinks he tees a Christian who's not a Christian. Right? Jesus thinks he tees a righteous person who's not as righteous as they think they are. Don't shut me down. It's not my words, it's his. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, 
I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Say that again. I want to point out that it doesn't say he went home content. It doesn't say that he went home to a family. It doesn't say that he went home sad or happy. One went home justified before God. Upon leaving the place where God was to be met, one left justified. Which means the other left unjustified. For all those who exalt themselves, gosh, this is a scary verse, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a very simple passage at the onset. You've got an extremely righteous, do-good, Christian leader in the church, follows the rules, walks the walk, talks the talk. Jesus uses the contrast that he has used throughout Luke, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, whom he always, tongue-in-cheek, stabbed in the back a little bit when it came to their righteousness and tax collectors and sinners, those who we just turn our nose up at. Ooh, over there, the sinner. And God always uses the word mutter or whispered, the sinner. You kind of do your quotation marks there. Those people. I'm glad I'm not like those people. So we have these people and those people. And the expectation is that the tithing, church-going, VBS-leading, small group-leading, bringing all your children to the Wednesday nights, bringing all your children to the Sunday mornings, individual, stands before God, righteous. And in some ways, that is true. When we read the beginning of this passage, we have the expectation that you have a good churchgoer and you have the sinner outside, right? Off, off in the distance. Then, when we get to the end of this passage, all the good church folks who hear it go, oh, well, the other guy was an arrogant son of a gun and this guy was humble. And now we know, you were scared? And now you know that, that uh, the, 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 the story is a paradox. But that... We would not be doing this story justice if we left it just as that. You need to understand something. You need to understand something. There's nothing in this passage that tells us that he didn't keep the commandments. 
there's nothing in this passage that tells us that not only is this Pharisee a good guy, let's just assume that he's got about 300 rules that he follows. This guy follows them all. He, he does all of the church rules. And then he goes out of his way because the church rule said you need to fast once a week in order to be uh, 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 what you're supposed to be, all right, fast once a week. This guy says, I don't fast once a week. I fast twice a week. I'm not just good, I'm real good. And by the way, I know that I am required to give a tenth of what I am paid, a tenth of my income, but let me be extraordinarily clear. I don't just give a tenth of my income. I give a tenth of everything that I have. If I get uh, an extra something that's handed me by a friend, I give a tenth of that. If God blesses me with a brand new Mercedes-Benz camel, I give a tenth of that. If I get extra food in my house, I bring the church a tenth of that. If I have extra candy in my home, I bring a tenth of that. I find a way to give a tenth of everything that I have. Let me be clear, I do not bring camel hooves or a tenth of the camel in general to the church. I find a way to divide my income so that it's a tenth of a camel, not just a tenth of a piece of a camel. I work hard at this. I so wanted to say I work hard for the money right there, but I didn't. I give a tenth of, yeah, I give a tenth of everything that comes in which turns out to probably be 15, maybe even 20% of my income. When I look in the mirror, I'm, I'm proud of who I see. When I look in the mirror, I'm going above and beyond. Huh. Compared to me, there's a lot of people who just ain't measuring up. Go me. Now let me ask you a question. When this guy starts to speak, okay, the Pharisee stood by himself and did what? What did he do? He prayed, right? And what do we think that prayer is? Prayer is when you, huh? Talk to God, yes. So this guy is supposed to be, in the story that Jesus is telling, talking to God. What's he talking about? Mm. Who should be the object of the affection in our prayer? Who is the object of the affection in this prayer? Ah, so now we have goodness, but that goodness is what? It is misdirected. It is misappropriated. It is misunderstood, not by those around him, but by him. He is his own best and his own worst problem. But as we continue to stare at ourselves, as we continue to see who we are, as opposed to seeing who God is, those around us then become measured not by the standards of God, but by the standards with which we are judging ourselves. And so as he looks around, I am so thankful, God, that not only am I good, I do not rob. I do not evil do. I do no evil. I am not an adulterer. I'd like to list the sins that I don't have a problem. Does anybody else do that? 
Any of y'all arrogant, prideful people ever go, you know what? At least I am not an adulterer. You know what I am not? I am not greedy. You know what I am not addicted to? I am not addicted to shopping. All right. Do you know how many people I've, seriously, do you know how many people I have counseled? And they are like, you know, we're not addicted to alcohol. We're not addicted to drugs. We're not addicted to, uh, to um, I don't know, pick something, pills. And then I'm like, that's not the only thing you can be addicted to. If Amazon knows your address by heart, you have an addiction. Right? And I've had husbands say to me, well, at least it's not liquor. Trust me, can cause a whole lot more issues. I'm, I'm, I'm not addicted to sex. Hmm. You're not. Can I look through your browser history? Can I look through your emails? Your Facebook texts? Huh? Well, I only look. You only look what? You're married. And that's somebody else's daughter, son. Do you have a daughter or a son? You want that picture of them out there? Why did everybody get all quiet? Is this uncomfortable for you? Do you know why? Because we all pick our sins. We all point to ourselves and go, at least it's not this, 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 this. But we have zero tolerance when it comes to what it is. And when you cannot recognize that your sins may not be more, may not be greater, may not be less, but are absolutely different, which is why I say, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. We're all sinners who don't fall short of the glory of our own expectations, don't fall short of the glory of the guy next to us, don't fall short of the glory of the preacher or the teacher or the Sunday school person. We fall short of the glory, what? And we have failed because we compare ourselves to anything and everything that makes us feel good about ourselves, but God. Well, you know, when I compare myself to God, you got Peter who's saying, depart from me for I'm a sinner. You got a criminal on the cross and so angry, he's yelling insults at him. You got another criminal who's so broken, he ends up humbling in heaven. Being next to God makes you feel a little bit dirty. Sometimes it does. But when you're dirty, you long to be what? And who is it that can clean you? Mm. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, he opens not his mouth. Between the throne and among the elders, I saw the Lamb standing as though he was slain and the blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they are crimson, they shall be white as snow. Why only one left justified that day has nothing to do with goodness. I, I don't know what happened to the tax collector that day. 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what put him where he was. Okay. I say that because even in this church and even over the course of 31, 32 years of preaching and teaching, all kinds of different things drove people to the altar. Maybe God just finally said, thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe God had been working on them for so long and they'd been fighting for so long and they were just tired and they just crumbled. Maybe their sin was so overwhelming and the reality of that sin and the desire for freedom was just what they had to come after. Maybe they just knew and they've known all along and they finally just laid their pride down and said, not my will, but yours be done. I, I don't know what happened that day. I don't know what happened that week. And I'm not gonna speculate because I need you to understand that there's a hundred ways it can happen, but there's only one way to be justified. There's a hundred ways to get to justification, but there's only one place to go. And so a guy who says barely a full sentence, who barely makes his way into the temple, he simply gets to a place where he knows he's inside the walls. He doesn't even feel like he can come in. He knows God's presence is there, but he doesn't feel, he, 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 I can't get any further. And he falls to his knees. And he says, God, have mercy on me. I present nothing. I bring nothing. I offer nothing. And the only thing that, that my broken heart knows to do is simply say, have mercy on me. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking about? Folks, I'm not asking you to feel bad. I'm not asking you to get emotional. I'm not asking you to feel guilty. I'm asking you not to lose your place. I'm asking you to daily remind yourself of who you are and who he is. I'm asking you to let him then remind you of who he is and who you are. We are sinners in the hands of a holy God, but when God looks at us, he sees his children justified by his actions. And he sees you perfect, pure, holy, righteous. And no matter how good your actions seem to be, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. So now a question need be asked. Who are you trying to please? When you sit in your car today and figure out what happened and why you were here, anything change for you? Anything happened in your heart? Anything happened in your life? 
Did you come in dirty and leave clean? Did you come in clean and leave dirty? Did you come in with nothing and leave with... with because I'm not sure how you stand in the presence of God and leave unchanged. And if I know that God's chasing you, what are we left with? Well, Craig, I'm chasing God. I, I believe you. Here's the question. With what attitude? Well, you know, I'm chasing God. I'm trying to do the things that you tell me to do. I'm giving of my time. I'm giving of my talents. I'm giving of my tithe. Listen to me. Don't become a Pharisee. I'm trying to help you grow in discipleship. I'm not giving you a checklist to make you righteous. Huge difference. Well, Craig, so if I stop doing all of those things and just focus on, no, <laughs> no. Those who are righteous want to do those things. So now I have to ask you this. Why are you doing what you're doing? Obligation. Duty, tradition, or if you've fallen so in love with an almighty God who saved you from the depths of hell and you can't wait to open your pockets, you can't wait to open your calendar, you can't wait to open your car door and run into his house so that you can celebrate him, be with him, give to him, honor him, sing to him, celebrate him. Where's your attitude? Religion or righteousness? Self or others? I did this passage with the kids and I remembered um, it was actually the first youth trip that I ever took when I was the youth minister here was to Ridgecrest, North Carolina. It was about 11, 12, 13 students, an old rickety, rickety, rickety van and me and another guy, I think there were just two chaperones. We went to Ridgecrest where the edge is gonna be this year. It would have been in 19, the winter of 1995, December, January, 95, 96. And we went out there and Josh McDowell was speaking. And I kid you not, I think, I think Robbie Robison I don't think I knew him then, but I think Robbie Robison was preaching at that event also. I'm pretty sure. There's nobody else that, that looks like Sammy Hagar. So that's what I remember. All right. And there was this guy named Little Tommy. And I've had Little Tommy, Tom Toombs, at the edge four times. And he used to do these songs where he would act them out. All right. And, and it, was, it was amazing. It was really cool. And he did this song called Moses by this guy named Ken Miedema. Ken Miedema is one of the greatest piano singer songwriters of the Christian back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, all right? So one day he did this Moses and it was amazing, it was dramatic. And the next day he did this song called Mr. Simon. Mr. Simon. I've never forgotten it. Never forgotten. And, uh, I, I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it. So this is Ken Miedema, Mr. Simon.
bells begin to ring. Mr. Simon of the church is where he does his thing. And loves to say things who come to praise the Lord. He loves to hear the people singing all in one Two men walked into church that day was a Sunday morning. One left slightly wrinkled, the other left reborn. How are you leaving? Every Sunday you have to ask yourself, who am I? What am I comparing myself to? Why am I here? How do I see me? How does God see me? You have a conversation, not with me. You have a conversation with God. 
you and God. No more, no less. And as each one of us becomes different, our church becomes different. How's your attitude? How are you leaving? Let's pray. God, I'd like to say thank you that I'm not like Mr. Simon. And God, I'd like to say thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. But God, both would be a mistake. God, I'm glad I'm not alone. God, I'm glad that I'm not alone with me. With my pride and my, my, my lust and my and my desires for uh, things that, that aren't of you. And yes, you know I desire things of you, but you also know in the innermost workings of my heart, I'm a sinner that needs a savior. And so I don't want to be glad that I'm not like the sinner or the saint, the religious or the righteous. God, I'm just glad I'm not alone. I'm glad that one day, nearly 41 years ago that you decided to say, come here. You whispered to a little boy and you said, come here. And I came. And for that, for that, I am thankful. I am glad for that. Not that I am like this or like that. I'm glad for that, a God who saves and that he chose me. I hope that you will choose him. My prayer is that you choose him. Cover us, guide us, protect us, train us, teach us, tell us who we're being compared to and tell us how that person feels, what that person did for us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name and amen.